And so we're going to begin tonight in Matthew chapter 5, which is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. And a familiar portion of scripture to uh, most Bible readers would understand or would recognize some of the statements that we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5. It begins with verse number 1. The Bible says, Jesus, and seeing the multitudes, went up into a mountain. And when he was set or sat down, his disciples came unto him. This is not just talking about the 12 disciples, but it's talking about all of the followers of Christ. And, and he climbed this mountain and he sat down and began to teach. And tonight's lesson, lesson number one of this road trip series, is simply climb the mountain. Jesus, in his first act in the Sermon on the Mount, he went up the mountain. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have to be willing to climb to where he is. I have to be willing to uh, stretch myself uh, to exert some physical, some fleshly, and some spiritual energy to live the disciplines that are the disciplines of a disciple. Now, when you think of climbing a mountain, it's probably uh, not easy thing that you would think of. You think of climbing a mountain. Uh, it's something that requires some effort. It's something that requires some exertion. It's something uh, that requires, you're not going to climb a mountain in your sleep. You're not going to wake up one morning and, oh man, I climbed Mount Everest last night. You're not going to climb a mountain by accident. But if you're going to climb a mountain, it's going to be on purpose and it's going to be with intention and it's going to be with effort. And if, if you're going to live, and I'm going to live, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be just because I show up on Sunday and once in a while on Wednesday. It's going to be because I put some intention and some effort into my daily life, my daily habits, my daily disciplines. I'm going to climb to be with Him. And so to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to be willing to climb a little bit, and that's what we're going to do here tonight. He opened his mouth and he taught them and he begins teaching them by saying, blessed, everybody say blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'll save the remainder of those for the latter part of the lesson. But Jesus pronounces these blessings, eight or nine blessings depending how you count them. I believe there's eight. I think the last couple of verses are all really uh, summarized into, into one type of teaching. But what Jesus is doing here is he is laying out first uh, the, the duties of a disciple or, or what I'm going to call tonight the climber's calling. If you're going to climb with Christ, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that climbs out of where our flesh will naturally want to live, We'll, we'll climb out of the place that uh, is our natural fleshly responses to the, the life pressures or the situations that we are faced with. It's going to require that we climb. And he is calling us to climb. If you're here uh, tonight, if you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, he is calling you to climb higher in him. Now this discourse is... Uh, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and, and it, it stretches beyond chapter 5 of, of Matthew, but it takes place somewhere outside of Capernaum, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee, and as I mentioned in the reading of our text, it's not just being taught to his 12 disciples, but it's being taught to a multitude of followers that are with him, so in this context, the term disciple actually just means a student, a learner, or a follower of Christ. Now, I mentioned, I believe it was a week or two ago, um, uh, the, the series that is out there you can get on any of your smart devices. There's a, a, a series called The Chosen, and some of you have said, uh, raise your hand that you've watched that. I highly uh, encourage it. It's really good, uh, really good stuff. And I, I told you already, I'm not, I'm not much for, for uh, you don't hold it against me, not much for Jesus flicks and Jesus movies and Jesus shows because uh, they're usually not very well done, uh, but this is a very moving, very powerful uh, uh, series, and, and, it, and it really well depicts the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of season two, it begins the last episode of season two and into the first episode of, of season 
3. He begins the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so it, 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 Jesus climbs this mountain. It depicts it well. And, and he's got all of these followers, perhaps thousands of, of followers there. And he, he finds a, a place to comfortably seat himself, which was the preferred method of teaching in, in Bible times. And, and where an instructor would, of course, there's no PA systems, but he would centrally locate himself in the crowd of, of people, and verse 2 says he opens his mouth and he begins to teach them. He, he speaks that, that phrase, opens his mouth in the original language. It, it doesn't mean that he's just off the cuff speaking, but it means there's uh, intentionality with what he is saying. There's a distinct purpose in mind, and, and the purpose in mind is, is very clearly spelled out in the verses that are to come. The entire Sermon on the Mount, everything that you're going to read in these three chapters, is, is really dealing with two things. The, the first, the character of a follower of Jesus Christ, the character of a Christ follower, and then secondly, the, the proper attitude that that follower has towards all relationships in this earth. Not just human relationships, but relationships with the law of Christ, uh, relationships with wealth or money, relationships uh, with the laws of the land. He, he deals with the, the character of a follower of Christ and then a, a, a Christ follower's attitude. How many know your attitude matters? Your attitude matters. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, can I just say this right here at the beginning and just, just curl your toes up right from the start of the lesson and get, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you got to watch your attitude. And not just watch your attitude like you try to control your attitude, but watch your attitude as in you make a decision to let the Spirit control your attitude. That I'm going to let His Spirit dictate my attitude, my mindset, and my responses to the external pressures of life that are on me. Now, it says when Jesus, one translation of the Bible says when Jesus saw His ministry drawing huge crowds, verses 1, He climbed a hillside and those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, decided to climb with him. He arrived at a quiet place. He sat down and began to teach his climbing companions. I love that phrase. It's in the Amplified Bible. He began to teach his climbing companions. If you're willing to climb, if you're willing to put in the work to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he will teach you things that those that don't climb never receive and never understand and never learn. He will reveal things to you, truths of his word, truths that apply to your daily life that, that not everybody else gets access to. Now, this massive crowd of people are following Jesus. And, and Jesus drew these huge crowds, we know, because the Bible says that he, he had a twofold ministry. He had a ministry both to do and to teach. In fact, uh, in, in the book of Acts, Luke writes, he, he says, Dear Theophilus, in, the, in, in this first volume of the book, he writes, he says, I wrote everything that Jesus began to do and teach in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Doing refers to his miracle working power. Jesus was and still is a miracle worker. Jesus was and still is able to perform any miracle, able to answer any request. Now, his, his, his doing refers to his miracle working power. His teaching refers to his doctrine. Now, Jesus, it's important to note, he did not just do miracles for the sake of doing miracles. He didn't just do miracles to improve people's quality of life. Now, we, we teach that, and a lot of folks believe that today, but that's not true. Jesus did not just do miracles. Nowhere in the Bible, and I, I've said this before, and actually had people come to me offended because I said this, but nowhere in the Bible can you prove that Jesus did miracles just to make someone feel better. Never. Nowhere in the Bible does it illustrate or can you prove that Jesus did a miracle just to improve someone's quality of life. Never happened. Anytime you see Jesus' miraculous power, the works of Jesus, the doing of Jesus, 
it is because he is trying to get them to receive his teaching or his doctrine. The things that Jesus began to both do and teach. He used them to teach doctrine. And, and he heals the blind man, opens his eyes. And then what does he do? He uses it to teach. I am the light of the world. He feeds the 5,000. What does he use it for? He teaches them, I am the bread of life. He, he, he doesn't just teach for teaching's sake either, but he, he teaches them, Matthew says, as one who has authority, not as one of the scribes, kind of a, a slight against those who were the religious professionals in the temple. He's, it says he wasn't teaching like them, but he was teaching as someone with authority. He wasn't just teaching to take up time on a Wednesday night. He was teaching to let them be better followers of him, to let them be better followers of Christ, to let them be more pleasing to him that he could establish the kingdom in their lives. It was all about the kingdom. It was all about establishing his kingdom in this earth. That's why he said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was all about establishing the kingdom of God. And so can I tell you right here at the very outset of this series, as we map the message on the mount, that it is about establishing Christ's kingdom in your life, in your family, in your circle of influence, in this church, in this city, in this city as it is in heaven about establishing the kingdom of God. And if his kingdom is going to be established, if we're going to be citizens and inheritance of the kingdom, then we have to have the character of those in the kingdom. We have to have the calling of those in the kingdom. So the whole Sermon on the Mount begins with this call to the climber, those that are climbing companions with Christ to move even higher or, if you will, even deeper into their Christian life and, and walk with God. It's not just about knowing doctrine. Hello. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about applying doctrine. It's not just about knowing the right thing to do. Because how many know? You can know the right thing, but do the wrong thing. It's about knowing the right thing to do and applying that doctrine. And it's about getting real with God, getting real with yourself, and getting real with others. Now, I'm going to tell you right from the beginning, the Sermon on the Mount is not for the faint of heart, the weak-kneed, or the limp-wristed. Okay? Everybody okay with that? The Sermon on the Mount is not for milk-toast Christians. Okay? The Sermon on the Mount is not for those that are easily offended. The Sermon on the Mount is not for those. It's for the people who are willing to climb with him. It's for the people who are willing to put in some effort. That's why he, he didn't teach it to those that were down in the city, just kind of looking out their window, you know, just kind of looking out the window and, and glancing and gazing at the crowds or those that are selling their wares in their storefront and just happen to have Jesus passing by. If you're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount, you have to get to the Sermon on the Mount. You with me? You're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to be willing to put some effort into it. So I'm going to tell you, over the next 9 to 12 weeks that we cover uh, the, these series of verses, if you're going to get the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to have to put some effort into it, and there's going to be stuff in here that steps on all of our toes. But what Jesus is saying is if you want to climb higher in me, this is where we go. This is what we do. And, and if you're willing to climb, if you're willing to hear the, the call to the climber, then, then there's going to be the blessing to the climber. And, and, and the blessing, he, he lays this out, and it's, it's, it's really over the next 12 verses that he lays out these, these blessings, these series of blessings. And, and so it's fitting that, that the Sermon on the Mount really begins with the word blessed. Everybody say blessed. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in your Bible, there's, there's 2,441 2, words in the Sermon on the Mount. spans three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and, and 7. Uh, we probably won't make it uh, to, to 6 and 7, 
uh, unless we go into the fall and take a fall road trip as well, um, because there's so much here just in these in this first part of, of chapter 5. And, and folks, if you're new to this, if you're a new Bible reader, if you're a new believer, a new Christian, let me challenge you. You might think to yourself, my goodness, Pastor, how in the world? You said 12 verses and we might spend nine. Right now, I've got nine lessons mapped out to cover 11 verses. So, uh, let me tell you, the Bible is rich. I, I would encourage you not just for uh, the time that you spend reading, uh, not just for quantity, uh, a quantity approach to reading, but a quality approach to reading your Bible. Don't just read, the best way to read the Bible is not just to read the Bible, but let the Bible read you. To read it slow, to pray over it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for annual Bible reading programs. I've done them many times myself, and it, to read the Bible through in a year. I've also done uh, on the Bible app, there's a 90-day Bible reading challenge where uh, really in not very much time a day, you can read the Bible or listen to the Bible uh, through in, in 90 days, and that's all good. Let me tell you what really, really benefits a, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is slow down and read the Bible. Don't just try to get through your three chapters a day or your chapter a day or your ten verses. Slow down, meditate, pray on it, and say, Lord, what does this mean to me? How do I apply this to my life? So in these 2,441 words and these three chapters spanning the book of Matthew, Jesus chooses for the opening word of his sermon, blessed. Everybody say blessed. Now, in, in, in pronouncing the type of individual that, that Jesus would say is blessed, he's, he's literally describing the character that a Christ follower should have. He's describing the character uh, of someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ should have. And, and much like in the church today, in Jesus' day, there were those present to hear his teaching who were already fully committed to following him, and maybe there were some others that were in the process of making that commitment. And you may be here tonight, and you say, man, I've been here a long time. I've been here longer maybe than most people here, and you're a fully devoted follower of Christ. But maybe you're here, and, and you're just kind of approaching that commitment. You're still not sure what being a Christ follower really all entails, and to be honest, you may not even be sure if you want to be one. You might say, you know what, I might just want to be one of those Sunday-only people. <laughs> I might just want to be one of those Christmas and Easter people. Let me, let me just tell you, if you're in that process of decision, I'm glad you're thinking about that. I'm glad you're processing that. But I'm going to encourage you tonight, there is no reward like being a fully sold-out devoted follower of Jesus Christ. There is no reward in this world, as you will find in this Sermon on the Mount. There is nothing like saying, Lord, I'm going to be sold out in every single part of my life. So it's important to know that as we, as we look at this Sermon on the Mount, as we start to climb the mountain, as we look at the blessings of making that climb, that this sermon is, is written to those and it's spoken to those that are approaching discipleship and, and it's, it's also to those who are already a committed disciple. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is whether you are just beginning your discipleship journey or you have had a discipleship journey for decades long already, that you can experience the same blessing of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me say that this way. Whether you have lived for God and been a faithful churchgoer and a Christ follower for 45 years, or you have only been attending this church for four weeks and you're still not sure if you've got it figured out yet. Jesus says, if you'll obey what's in this book, if you'll listen to the words that I'm going to teach you, there is a blessing that is an equal blessing to both categories. I don't get any more of a blessing just because I'm, I, I, I'm working on decade number five. 
You don't get any less of a blessing because you're working on Sunday, number five. God says, if you'll follow this, I'm going to bless you. There is a blessing that comes with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, the word blessed, actually, uh, it doesn't refer to the disciples. It's not talking about the disciples as being recipients of a, of a, of a tangible uh, blessing, like as in a gift from God or anyone else. But it really what it's referring to is that it's this idea of this unshakable, unmistakable happiness or joy that is not dependent on the circumstances around you. The meaning of the word blessed, you're going to see it again over and over in these, in these first 12 verses. Blessed, 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 blessed. It's someone who is, is happy, who is, literally means to, to be enviably fortunate. That others would look at how you're blessed. They would look at your life and they would look at your attitude and they would, they would be envious of it. Now, envious, being envious, that's not, a, that's not a good moral quality, okay? That's not a virtue. But, but this type of blessing that, that Christ is talking about, it, it's possessing a happiness that only comes, that is only produced by being a sold out follower of Jesus Christ. It's a blessing that is produced more than just an emotion of happiness, more than just an emotion of joy, because the emotion of joy is dependent on outward circumstances, right? The emotion of joy is when things are good, I'm happy, and when things are bad, I'm mad, (laughs) right? That's how the world lives. You know, today I was getting out of uh, this truck, and I, I don't think I mentioned it from the pulpit, uh, maybe I did, but had a, had an accident in my truck. Thankfully, it wasn't worse than it was. Did a bunch of damage to my truck, so my truck's been in the shop uh, longer than it should have been, so I'm driving this rental, and uh, a guy ran a red light and, and caused this accident, didn't stop, and so whole whole deal. Anyway, so the body shop has my truck, and so I've got this rental truck, and I, uh, I get out of the, the truck today, and I realized when I first got it on the doorway that somebody, somehow they'd got tar, like tar from a road tar, like smeared all over, like black goopy stuff all over. And I found out about it because I was on my way here on a Sunday morning to preach the divinely inspired word of God, and I got out of the truck and got tar all up my pants. <laughs> Happy, blessed. And so I cleaned it off the best I could, and... Um, I uh, got out of the car a few days later, and apparently I missed some, and uh, got it on my white tennis shoes. Happy and blessed. And I wiped it off, cleaned it off again, and I think there is a, like, a tar devil, uh, because it keeps, like, appearing. So, if you're wiping tar on my truck door... Uh, for, it's not my truck, but the truck that I'm driving's door. Uh, I bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> so, you know, got my white tennis shoes all cleaned up, and you know, the, like you know, these white like Nike tennis shoes, and got them all. I mean, I'm not I'm not crazy about them like some of you young guys are. In fact, I was at, at the youth camp yesterday, and this kid walks up to me, he's like 15 years old, and I was wearing those same shoes, and he's like, yo, dog, man, you got creases in them shoes. I said, you got one in your head, but I ain't saying nothing about it. No, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. <laughs> said, happy and blessed. <laughs> I want to say, first of all, I'm not your dog, but. <laughs> so today, I get here, and I get out of the truck again, and black tar on another pair of pants and shoes. <laughs> Happy and blessed. Then I got out laying on the ground and wiping the tar off. Like I, I think I got it all. If it appears again, I know somebody's putting it there. <laughs> I got every bit of tar off that car. <laughs> now, this idea of blessing is... You know, I'm mad when that stuff happens, you know, but, you know, when things go my way, I'm happy, right? 
the, you know, the idea of blessing is when things turn out like I want them to, then my mood is up. But, you know, my truck's been in the shop for two and a half weeks now, and they told me last Monday when I called, it was supposed to be done, they told me, I said, they said, you know what, Luke, she said, I'm checking on that, I'll call you back within the hour. All right, and she'll have a little party, and I'll make the party. And so, a week and a half later, uh, and five messages left for him, no word, no call back. So I finally got a hold of somebody today. I'm a little frustrated. I mean, I'm driving the tar car and <laughs> not feeling happy and blessed about it. But, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. When I got somebody on the phone, um, I had to check my attitude because I was more, and, and I explained what I was a little frustrated about. But I think if, all of you would have been listening in on a third-party line. You would have uh, said, well, he did that with a Christian attitude. I didn't want to do it with a Christian attitude. I wanted to give him a piece of my mind. But this is the idea of blessing that Christ is teaching us. That there is a blessing that comes when you walk in his way, when you have his attitude. When you walk in a way that is pleasing to God, there is a joy, there is a contentment, there is a happiness that comes to the life of a believer. And, and what Jesus is teaching here in this outset of the Sermon on the Mount is that we attain this happiness, watch this, ready? By, by literally doing the exact opposite of what the world does to have joy and happiness. For the world, when you make someone in the world mad, their relief valve is they blow up on you. They give you a piece of their mind. They'll cuss you out. They'll call you name, whatever, right? But a Christ follower finds happiness by literally taking the exact opposite path that someone in the world would take. Now you see why it's a climb. <laughs> why you're not going to just do it on autopilot in your sleep. Because you've got to put your flesh under subjection to the spirit. You've got to put your flesh under control to the things of God. But look at all these verses. There's so many. I put uh, four or five of them in your notes. But John 13. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. At 1 Kings 10. Happy are men. Happy are these my servants which stand continually before thee. And hear what? Thy wisdom. You hear the wisdom, you do these things, you're going to be happy. Psalms 1, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So you want to be blessed, you can't walk in the way that the world walks or sit where the world sits. Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I get a blessing, a joy, a happiness that comes from my experience with Calvary and not how I relate necessarily to everybody in the world or the environment around me. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways and whose heart are the ways of death. God says, you're going to be blessed. When, when you know that your strength is in me, and, and your heart is in me, and my heart is in you. From these scriptures and many others, we, we find that this type of blessing is not a gift that is received, but it's a state of mind that is achieved and maintained in the life of a believer. Let me say it again. This place of blessing and joy is not a gift received, but it is a place achieved. And it's achieved through the daily disciplines in the life of a believer. Discipline. It's hard. If it was easy, it wouldn't be called discipline. <laughs> it's difficult. It takes discipline to live the life of a believer that is pleasing to God. Another way to say it is that the blessing becomes this integral part of living a spirit-filled and a spirit-led life. You know, the scripture says the joy 
of the Lord is our strength, right? Well, why is the joy of the Lord our strength? Because we've allowed His Spirit to give us victory over everything else in this world. The joy of the Lord is my strength because His Spirit has made me victorious. So by, get, by beginning His sermon with the word blessed, He's actually saying happy is the man or the woman that does all of these things. All of these things that we're going to go through. All of these things that we're going to talk about. All of these beatitudes, if you will. Happy is the man that does, or the woman that does, all of these things. Why? Because he's saying that you have developed a character, an internal Christ-like character that is not dependent on external influences. Happy is the man who does all these things. Because if you can achieve these beatitudes, if you can do these eight things that are going to be listed in the verses to come, you're going to live in a kingdom way that, that is not affected or impacted by circumstances or people or situations around you. That's what it means to have peace in the middle of a storm. That's what it means uh, to have joy in the middle of sorrow. That's what it means to be able to be calm and level-headed when everybody's losing their mind around you. Happy is him. Blessed is he. So, so they're often called the beatitudes. Jesus said, Blessed are, and so the Beatitudes is a it's a it's a, it's a way of tying to the the original language of that statement. Blessed are, but but really it's it's by definition maybe you've heard these this list called the Beatitudes before. It's it's a list of the character traits of people who live in a kingdom way, people who live a kingdom life. Uh, you may have heard it said uh, the, the this list of Beatitudes. It's it's really B B E attitudes or attitudes that you should be living with, attitudes that you should be exhibiting in your life. And if we get through this list and you find that there's some of these that you're struggling with, <laughs> that these be attitudes you be struggling with, <laughs> then you need to be working on it, <laughs> okay? If, if, if you're finding it hard to figure this out, Man, I got these two, but I'd be struggling with that one. Well, be working on it. As long as you got breath in your body, there's hope. Work on it. Fix it. Lord, help me in this area. Recognize it and acknowledge it. Let the Lord help you. Now, it, it should be noted here tonight that each of these beatitudes, each of these blessed are statements would be true, even if there was no promise attached to them. Now, all of these have promises attached to them. But, but they would be true even if there weren't promises attached to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But even if there wasn't a promise, there would still be a blessing for those that are poor in spirit or happy during mourning. It, it, there's still a blessing that is attached to those. Jesus was in no way, what I'm getting at is Jesus was in no way dangling a proverbial carrot out there and saying, okay, now do this, little Johnny, and you're going to get this, okay? Act this way, and I'm going to give you this blessing. That's not what he was doing. What he was letting us know is that there's future blessings that are going to come, but until they come, if you live this way, you are going to live a life that is complete and happy in Jesus Christ. You're going to live a life that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 could say, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, how many know that not everything was perfect for the Apostle Paul? But evidently, he had heard the Sermon on the Mount maybe a few times himself. And he understood that his happiness, everybody say, my happiness, is not dependent on my circumstances. So Paul was saying, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in to be content. He was not talking about being happy whether you live in Iowa or Illinois, okay? Not talking about Mississippi or Alabama, not that kind of state. It's a state of mind. It's a state of heart. What, whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. He realized that 
that there was a blessing for being faithful. That there was a blessing for walking with him that involved not just future blessing, but his present state of being. And really, that's why he was able to conclude his life with these words. 2 Timothy 4, he said, but watch on all things. He's given these final instructions to Timothy. Do the work of evangelists, make full proof of your ministry. For now I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. What Paul was doing at the end of his ministry and life was testifying with the help of God, I've come to the end of my days and I have the same testimony that I've learned to be happy in whatever state I'm in, in whatever situation, whether they were persecuting me, whether they were turned against me, whether I was shipwrecked, whether a viper was coming out of the fire and latching onto me, whether I was imprisoned, that I realize that I have a blessing in my life by walking with Jesus Christ and because I have lived life in that blessing, I'm going to enter into the eternal reward of the Lord. That is the ultimate blessing for every single believer of Jesus Christ, that one day we're going to enter into the reward that is an eternal reward. I want the blessing of God in my life. So, if we hear the climber's call, and we understand the climber's blessing, we got to talk about the climber's report card. Now, I understand when I say report card, for some of you, you start to twitch. Um, you have flashbacks of high school algebra class. But this is a little different kind of report card. This is probably, in some ways, harder than high school algebra. But this is where you get real with how you're living. So, now, now don't, don't go ahead, but everybody, if you have a pen or a pencil, get a pen or a pencil out. If you've got more than one, offer one to someone else. Uh, if this is offensive and, and you want to protest, just sit there and don't, don't do anything. That's okay, too. Um, <laughs> it, it, we're we're going we're gonna to give ourselves a little report card. It's, it's spelled out right there on your paper, okay? And, and you don't have to show this to anybody, okay? Uh, but I would encourage you to fill this out as I read through this. Now, <laughs> I, every, every Wednesday night, Every Wednesday night, there's lesson handouts just kind of left laying around. A lot of times, sometimes they have their, somebody's name written on them. I'm just going to give you a piece of free advice. If you fill out this report card, is it one you want to leave laying around, okay? Because <laughs> we're going to know how you be living <laughs> when we read your Beatitudes, okay? So <laughs> fold it up, put it in your pocket, take it with you. In fact, if you're scared to fill it out here, go fill it out at home afterwards, okay? If you don't have a pen or a pencil, fill it out when you get home. This is where you get real about how you're living. Now, some have summarized that Jesus really begins this sermon, these blessed statements that we're going to be covering in the next nine weeks in more detail. Uh, and I'm just giving a summary of them here uh, at the closing tonight. But we'll cover each of them in their own week in, in detail. But here, when Jesus gives this, this is really the introduction of his message. It's just the introduction. And some have said that this was really the report card of a Christ follower. That as he gives all these check boxes, if you will, that it's a report card on our Christian life covering all areas that are critical to the discipleship of a believer. Or the curriculum, if you will, to the discipleship of a believer. So we're going to go through these and we're going to end tonight by grading ourselves on this climber's report card. So, got a little uh, score sheet there for you. A means you're doing awesome in this area. Don't just go mark A's on all of them, okay? I mean, be honest. Like, be, I mean, you got to have at least something lower than an A. A means you're doing awesome in this area. B, uh, need to do better in this area. Could do better in this area, but still pretty good. C, that would be, you give yourself a C, that means you're having trouble being consistent in this area. D, <laughs> having extreme difficulty in this area. And four, or F, sorry, I was looking at my next point. Four, four F, <laughs> maybe 
I'm going to have four F's. I don't know. F, experiencing complete failure in this area. So let's look through these together. And as I read through these, just put a little grade as, we, as I explain each one of these. Put an A through F. Now, again, you know, if you don't like this kind of stuff and it's offensive, you know, just put an F for none of your business, okay? Uh, that's, that's okay too, all right? And we'll just know that that just means you need to work on that area for sure. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. These are the Beatitudes. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is this? That I trust God with my difficult circumstances. Instead of trying to just keep up some appearance before others that I'm self-sufficient. The poor in spirit, it literally means that I am, I am spiritually nothing without him. That I recognize that, that I need him. I am poor in spirit. I, I'm, so you give yourself an A if you're awesome in that area. B if you, need, if you can do better. C if you're not very consistent. D if you're having difficulty. Or F if that area is a failure. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that I live with a state of mind that spiritually I am nothing without him. That I don't, I don't have any kind of haughtiness or spiritual arrogance. I am poor in spirit. I understand I'm nothing without him. Blessed are they that mourn. Now this one is commonly, this one's commonly misunderstood. Blessed are they that mourn. Now this word mourn, it's the strongest word in the original language that could be used for mourning or for grief or, or for sorrow. It, it, it's something that is produced. It's a condition or a state that is produced by caring deeply, as deep as possible, about a person or a thing. So, blessed are they that mourn. It's like having a, a, a broken heart. It's it, it, that type of, of mourning. A person who is desperately sorry for their sin. A person in a state of mourning. It's not like you have just lost a loved one. Not that type of mourning. But it's, it's referencing that type of mourning. That you live in a state of, of, of understanding. That you are desperately sinful without God. That you are unworthy of God's goodness and grace. And so, blessed are they that mourn. I, I'm quick to ask forgiveness from God and others when I'm wrong. Or when there is conflict in one of my relationships, blessed are they that mourn. I'm quick to ask forgiveness. I recognize that. What does that have to do with forgiveness? Because it, it, it's, a state, it's a state of mind that recognizes that I am nothing without him. It's tied to poor in spirit. But it's, it's even an extension of that. That I, I am unworthy of God's forgiveness in my life. So therefore, I'm going to be quick to forgive someone else. And I'm going to be quick to receive forgiveness. Blessed are they that mourn. A, B, C, D, or F. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We, we know meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Uh, meekness, I'm gentle. I'm balanced in my interactions with others. <laughs> balanced in my interactions with others. Balanced in my interactions with others. I'm not trying to control my relationships by overreacting or underreacting. I, I, I'm meek. I'm meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Give yourself an A through F here. I, if, if you have a, a vibrant daily relationship with God that's that's just as real when you're alone as it appears to be when I'm with other believers on Sunday morning. I have a vibrant daily relationship with God. Give yourself a grade there. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm quick to grant forgiveness and a second chance to those who have sinned against God, those who have sinned against me, or those who have sinned against someone that I love. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart, I have no secret sin or hidden motives. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody or anything. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm, I'm exactly the same in my inner world as I am in my outer world. 
blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, let's make this a little more fun. I'm exactly the same behind closed doors with my wife and kids as I am in in public with everybody else. Hello. Blessed are the pure in heart. Go ahead. Give yourself an A, please, A. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I I always speak positively about others, my church, those around me, my friends, situations. I I try to diffuse explosive situations rather than adding fire to it. There's not a lot of peacemakers in our world today. You know it? There's a lot of fire starters, and there's a lot of people who add fuel to fires. But if you're a peacemaker, you're someone that tries to diffuse explosive situations. Instead of Instead of responding when somebody says something, you know, about whatever, instead of responding with a yes and and adding to the situation, a peacemaker might calm things down and, and respond with yes, but, and offer an opposing viewpoint. Try to calm the fire. Try to put out the embers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We, you know, if we could just be peacemakers, our world would see us as different. If, 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 they, if they were blind and couldn't see that you dress different, if they were deaf half the time and couldn't see that you talk different, if they just could experience us bringing peace to tumultuous situations, they would say, there's something different about them. That's unique. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me just make a disclaimer here, and we're going to get to this in like week eight, blessed are the persecuted, but let me just jump ahead and, and just, you're not, you know, if you're a jerk to someone and then you have consequence for your jerkness, that's not being persecuted. <laughs> that's just called consequences, okay? If you speed, going 25 miles over the speed limit, and you get a ticket on the way to church, the devil's not trying to stop you from coming to church. You were speeding. That's not being persecuted. Okay? If you don't use good sense and you never change the oil in your car and your engine locks up because it's been 17,000 oil since the last oil change and you can't get to church on Wednesday night because your engine locks up on the side of John Deere Parkway, you're not being persecuted for coming to church. You're just not very bright for not changing your oil. It's consequence. It's different. Okay? Blessed are they which are persecuted. I know y'all have heard that, man. You know, anytime something bad happens to some folks, man, all the devil, all the devil. Well, sometimes it's the devil, sometimes it's my dumb choices, but there is a difference. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, I don't get defensive when someone accuses me falsely, or even they deliberately hurt me. And, ready for this? And I don't have to tell my side of the story. Remember what I preached about Sunday? God give us a ministry of just writing in the dirt sometimes. Just keeping your mouth shut when they're accusing you and just write in the dirt. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Give yourself a grade there. I don't get defensive when someone falsely accuses me or deliberately hurts me. I, I, I don't have to tell my side of the story. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In other words, you're in good company. So give yourself one last grade here on this climber's report card. In other words, I I don't lose my smile. I don't lose my positive attitude. I don't lose my cool when things go wrong. I, I don't make my worship at church suffer because something's going wrong. I don't make my attendance or my involvement at church suffer. I don't take my toys and go home when something doesn't go my way or somebody does or says something falsely against me. Blessed are you. When they revile you, persecute you, say evil things against you, he says you're in good company with the prophets of 
I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed, don't you? I want to be blessed. And I want to have the blessing. I want to have the blessing that is not dependent on my car or on the lack of tar on my shoe. I don't want to have blessing that's dependent on how somebody treats me. We all love to be treated good. We'll talk more about it. But my, my attitude and mindset, if I'm to be a follower of Christ, cannot be dictated or controlled by you. My attitude, my mindset can't be dictated or controlled by what you do to me, what you say about me, how someone out there treats or persecutes us, but it has to be dictated by the Spirit of Jesus Christ that is living inside of us. And if that's the case, then we can stand as a disciple of Christ and say, blessed are we. Why don't we stand together? Here's what it all comes down to. God has called us to be salt and light in this world. God has called us to be difference makers. He has called us to be influencers. If you're here tonight, he has called you to be an influencer in the world around you. Why do we talk different? Because to influence the world, I can't talk like the world. Why do we act different? Because if I'm going to influence the world, I can't act like the world. Why do we dress different? Because to influence the world, I can't look like the world. He, everything about the, the walk with Christ from Old Testament to New is that we are a called out people. That we don't do things like everybody else does things so that we can be an influence on the world. And here it is. Here it is. As I walk closer to him, the more of an influence his spirit becomes in me. And the more his spirit influences me, then the greater I can influence people around me. The more his spirit influences me, the greater I can influence. If I've got a bad attitude every time something goes wrong, I'm not going to be a good influence. If I get down and disgusted every time I have a bad day, I am not going to be a good testimony. If I, if I get snappy with somebody when I'm having a bad moment, I get overreactive all the time and I don't work towards peace, I'm going to ruin my witness. I'm going to ruin the calling that God has placed on my life. But if I'll let His Spirit keep influencing me, then I can be a greater influence to those around me. Come on, lift up your hands all across this room. Lift up your voice, lift up your hands. And somebody just say, Jesus, uh, let your spirit be in me. Come on, lift up your voice. Come on, lift up your voice and just say, Lord, I want your spirit to be in me. God, I want to climb this mountain. Hallelujah, God, I want to climb this mountain. God, I want to be a Christ follower. I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to do like everybody else. Lord, I want to apply this message from the mount to my life. God, I want to be a follower of you. God, I want to be someone who walks with you, walks after you. God, I don't want to be a Christian in name only. I don't want to be a believer in name only, but I want to be a believer in practice. I want them to see that there is something different about my attitude, my behavior.